I don't know if that's your prayer or not this morning, but we desperately need the Lord. We have been laid bare in these past five weeks, and we need His intervention in our lives. Um, all of us have been impacted in, in some way, and so I just want to thank you for joining us at the Hills Church this morning. I'm Matthew, one of the, the pastors here, um, and this this medium of communications has some limitations, but it also um, can help us interact a little bit more than a normal teaching on, on Sundays. And I don't remember, or I don't know if you remember in school, if you ever passed notes in class, um, and you, you weren't allowed to do that, but you are allowed to do that while I'm speaking. Uh, so add your, add your comments in the chat. Um, in fact, the, the last time I remember having to write lines, like if you've ever had to write, I will not, over and over again, uh, the last time I did that, or had to do that, was in sixth grade English class. But it wasn't our regular English class. It was for our D.A.R.E. class. Um, I don't know if you had D.A.R.E. at your school, but D.A.R.E. Uh, was the drug, abuse, resistance, education. Ah, see, still remember. And, uh, you know, just say no. And so we had an officer come. And I remember it was uh, Officer O'Shea. Now, Officer O'Shea, he was not, uh, he was not cool. He was not a cool, I mean, to be fair, I don't know if there are any cool adults to a sixth grader, um, but some of my classmates, I remember it was Travis and Sarah, and I was just the man in the middle. I was just the, the messenger <laughs> passing the notes, and, and they were writing some, uh, some not friendly comments about Mr. O'Shea, and, uh, and we all got caught. We got caught, and we had to write lines, and we got in trouble. I will not pass notes in class. I will not pass notes in class. I will. <clears throat> you, you will not get in trouble for, for commenting as, as we go. And so I, I encourage you uh, to, to chat, chat amongst yourself, to, uh, to provide some feedback as we're going. And, uh, and in fact, just to get things started, here's, here's the question for the week um, that I'd like for you to, to answer there in the comments. So in, in the past five weeks of quarantining, of social distancing, how much weight have you gained? <laughs> I'm not asking how much you. I'm not. I'm not asking you how much you weigh, but just like how much. No, no. Okay, all right. Well, if you don't want to share that with the class, how about, how about this one? How about this question? Um, what is one thing you are secretly pleased? One thing you're happy about that you don't have to do now that you are social distancing. If you could just maybe put that in the comments there if you're brave enough. So the question is, what is one thing you are secretly pleased that you don't have to do now that you are social distancing? Hanaji <laughs> uh, said it won't be much of a secret after, after this. Uh, we won't tell anybody. Uh, but as you're filling out those comments, I want to give a shout out to Sika and Gigi. Sika and Gigi, they help us with our social media and they're the ones who comment on behalf of the Hills Church uh, while, we're, while we're meeting here on, on Sundays, and they've been doing a, a fantastic job. So I just want to give them a, a shout out and, and for them to know how much we, we appreciate them. Um, and if you're a guest with us, we'd love to connect with you. There is a, a connect form in, in the comments. If you just fill that out, it's just a little bit of information about you. And if you do that while we're live this morning, we will donate $5 to stop human trafficking on your behalf. So it is 
a week after Easter. You know, and as we've been, we've been dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic, and we've seen what it's done globally, locally, and there's just so much. Um, I mean, whether you're sick or not, like it has impacted us emotionally, uh, financially. There has been, I mean, if you are um, a senior this year, you know, we keep posting um, everybody who already graduated. We post our pictures from when we were a senior. Like, like I don't know how that's supposed to help you. <laughs> like, hey, look at all the fun we had when we were seniors. Too bad for you. <laughs> um, but uh, but we, we're losing some, some things. Um, and people are sick. And, and so we had this build up to Easter, like Easter's coming and, and this promise of, of new life. And now Easter has, has come and gone. And we, we might be tempted to, uh, to just move on, to, to move on from Easter. Uh, I mean, uh, some of us have, have lost jobs or been laid off or furloughed. Uh, we have loved ones who are um, sick or who have recovered. Uh, but I want to encourage you that Easter is not just for one Sunday. Uh, Easter may have passed, but that hope of Easter, that hope of the resurrection, that promise, it's new every morning. And in fact, in the, the church calendar, Easter is like, like seven weeks. And so we're in, in the season called Eastertide, which leads up to the celebration of Pentecost, um, which is 50, 50 days after, after the ascension of, of Jesus. Um, and so what I want to do in the, in the next few weeks is to continue to, to look at the resurrection and see how it, how it informs our past, how it gives us hope in the present, and hope for the future. And if I were going to uh, title the sermon this week and, and the coming weeks, I would title it, Words of Resurrection in the Face of Death. Mm. Words of Resurrection in the Face of death. And, and the hope is that as we, we face our current struggles, that we will embrace anew the hope of the resurrection and that we will become resurrection people. Like that is, that, that is the grid that we see life through. And, and last week we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I want to go back there again this week. And in fact, we're going to go through the entire chapter in, in the coming weeks. But uh, 1 Corinthians was, was written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, he was an early convert to Christianity. Uh, you might even say he was an unexpected convert to Christianity because he did not like Christians. He did not like Jesus. But what changed Paul was an encounter with the risen Christ. That is what changed Paul's life. And so you have this unlikely convert, and he writes to this, the church in Corinth, and Corinth in the first century was the most uh, prosperous city in Greece. It was a, a, um, a commercial place. It was a port city where um, not only were uh, goods coming and going from the city, but also ideas were, were coming and going from Corinth. And all kinds of religious and spiritual ideas were, were coming and going. Uh, there was one writer in the second century. So this is what we call like an original document writer. He described Corinth as a city of unprincipled profit takers who would stop at little or nothing to outdo their rival, their rivals, unprincipled profit takers. And then you have this church in Corinth. It was, um, the church hadn't been around many years, but they were messed up. Like they, they had all kinds of problems and uh, they had problems with jealousy, 
problems of pride and thinking they were better than other people. They had uh, internal leadership disputes. I mean, they had such disputes amongst themselves that they were bringing lawsuits against one another in this church. And then kind of like the granddaddy of them all is there was at least one case of incest in the church and everybody else in the church was like, all right, that's, that's fine. That's good. We're applauding what was happening. And so this was a, a church that had real problems. In fact, it's the type of church today that would be on the front page of the news uh, for all the wrong reasons. Like the, um, you know what I'm talking about? Those Christians who um, like we want to distance ourselves from, like they, they make the news and you're like, oh, I mean, I, I like, you know, I love Jesus, but like these people, folks over here, they're giving us a bad name. They're giving us a bad rap. This church in Corinth, this is one of those uh, bad rap churches. And um, so Paul, he writes a letter to this church full of broken people, broken relationships. um, And he spills the most ink. He talks the most about resurrection, more than any other topic in the book. It's like he's he's thinking, as he's writing, he's like, man, these, these people, they got some problems. They've got some issues. They, they aren't listening to me. I've already been there. I'm going to go. I'm going to write them another letter. But what do they need? What do they need? Ah, they need to learn about the resurrection of Jesus. That will change them. And that's what the, the resurrection does. The more that we, we embrace it, the more that we study it, it changes everything. It changes everything. And uh, Paul has uh, 13 letters in in scripture that have become part of the, the New Testament. He, he may have, we know that he wrote other letters that are not part of the New Testament. And um, so he writes these 13 letters. And of all the letters, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the longest exposition that he writes on the resurrection. In fact, all the New Testament is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And he wants to remind them that something new has come into the world. Something new has come into the world. First Corinthians, verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 12 is where we're going to pick up. First Corinthians 15, verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has not been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses of God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. They're lost. If only for this life, if only for this life we hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Of all people, if if just in this life we have hope, then of all people we are to be pitied. So um, I want to ask you a question. If someone were to ask you, why are you a Christian? Why are you a Christian? What would your response be? And, uh, And right off the bat, that's a bit of a stressful question. Like, I mean, there's so many um, ways to go about answering the question. Um, it can be a bit complicated. Where, where do you start? And, and one of the things that makes this a complicated question 
is that many of our answers, if you were to ask someone in your, you know, down the street who is not a Christian, why they believe the things they believe, their answers would sound very similar to what you're saying, why you believe what you believe, but they believe something completely different. And this is where um, we, we run into some, some internal struggles. So for example, uh, someone might say, so why are you Christian? You say, well, you know, it's my, my social upbringing. I was, I was raised in a Christian family. Uh, we, went, we went to church. We celebrated the, the, the Christian traditions and the Christian holidays. And so it was just something that we, we took on. Um, and for others, you're like, yeah, I was raised in a Christian family too. That, that's why I want nothing to do with Christians. Um, but if you were to ask, ask your Muslim friend down the street, hey, why, why are you Muslim? likely their answer is going to be something along those same lines. Well, my, my family uh, is Muslim. I, I grew up Muslim, and, and um, so that's why I'm Muslim. But there, there's something about that uh, as we're exploring our own faith. It just doesn't feel satisfying. Like, why, why are you a Christian? Or maybe you're a Christian because, I mean, you have encountered God in a powerful way. I mean, I look back in my own life, and there have been times, uh, some encounters with God that were so incredibly uh, powerful, so sweet, uh, something that you just can't make up. And, and you could not tell me that that was not God. Like, um, and I mean, even last, last Sunday, it was, you know, our family, we had celebrated Easter together and I was scrolling through social media and someone was playing a video and it led me to another, you know how that goes. And I, I ended up on a song I hadn't heard in a while, but it was a song about wanting to see Jesus. And, and immediately like tears welled up in my eyes. And there's, there's just some songs like that, that uh, if I haven't heard in a while, like they just take me someplace spiritually, emotionally. And uh, I'm a little embarrassed to tell you what the song was because that's not typically my, my genre of music. And, um, but I'll, I'll, we'll put the link in the, in the comments and you can go, go check out the song. But uh, it was a Gaithers. <laughs> An old Gaithers, uh, Gaither vocal band. Uh, I bowed on my knees and uh, cried holy. But uh, anyway, but, we, but you know who else has had experiences with the divine like that? The person who has visited, visited the monastery in Tibet? And had this powerful encounter with the divine and became a Buddhist. Or maybe your, your neighbor who was up in the mountains recently and they were hiking and, and had some type of a divine experience. And it didn't hurt that they were, you know, smoking pot at the time and had this. Um, you may have had an experience like that yourself. But why, why are you a Christian? Maybe it's because Christianity meets your intellectual needs. Like um, you have found Christianity to be true as a framework for all of life. Um, but then again, there are, there are others who believe differently than Christians believe and have found a framework for their life. And, and even people who uh, don't, don't believe in God would say, you know, I, I only trust what I can verify, what I can verify by science. And you, you Christians, you don't, you don't trust science, which, which by the way, uh, Christians, we, we should trust science. We should be the most inquisitive people on the earth in exploring God's good creation. Uh, but, but that's a, another sermon altogether. Um, but so we have, you know, this, this intellectual side of Christianity. Why are you Christian? Maybe it's because of the Christian social vision. Maybe it's because you are drawn to the love your neighbor 
uh, serve the least of these. Um, and, and so you're, you're drawn by the, the social vision of Christianity. But again, someone could respond with, well, you know what? There are, there are sim- systems that provide a powerful social vision as well. And, and so uh, living in, a, in Denver, it's a, a major metropolitan area, and, and the world is becoming smaller, more global, uh, more pluralistic. We are surrounded by people in Denver who believe the, the things they believe, which are different than what we believe, but they believe them for the exact same reasons that we believe what we believe. Let me say that again. We are surrounded by people who believe the things they believe for the, exactly the same reasons we believe what we believe. And that can be disorienting. That can be a stressful. It's, it's not a bad thing, and, uh, but this should cause us to evaluate our own beliefs. Uh, I mean, I'm a, a Christian for a, a lot of different reasons. And, and from time to time, I run across people who are not Christians and who are better. They're a better neighbor than I am. They're um, very, very generous. Um, and, and so when that happens, it, it, it will mess you up. And so why is it that you are a Christian? And there is one definitive answer for me and there should be one definitive answer for you. One definitive answer. And, it, and it's a reason that it doesn't begin with my upbringing. It doesn't uh, begin with my intellectual or, or emotional, my personal experience. It doesn't uh, have anything to do with my social vision. It actually is a reason outside of me altogether. Uh, it's not about me. And it's this, I am a Christian I am a Christian because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. That is, that's it. I am a Christian because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And if, if it's not true, then, then we are wasting a great Sunday morning, right? We've had some snow this week. It's starting to get warmer. Uh, like there are plenty of things uh, to do while we social distance and are responsible and are getting out and about in our beautiful state, and I'll probably get out this afternoon. But we gather together every Sunday because Jesus was raised from the dead. That is why we gather together. That is why I'm a Christian, because there was a man named Jesus. He was crucified by the Roman government, but he was raised to life again again, against everyone's expectations. Like his his disciples weren't expecting him to, to come back from the dead. And so that for Christians, the resurrection is, it becomes the, the grid, it becomes our interpretive grid for reimagining everything Jesus said, everything Jesus did, we interpret through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the vindication of his message. Like without, without the resurrection of the things he said, you take him or leave him. But because he was raised to life, then what he, he said we read it differently. We see it differently. We see his life differently. And Paul writes in this chapter that there is no Christianity without the resurrection. Um, I mean, there, there are churches that try. There are churches that try to downplay the resurrection or, or say, you know, it, it didn't really happen. Maybe it was a spiritual resurrection. And to be honest, those kinds of churches are just glorified social clubs. Um, I'm not demeaning what, what those people do or the good, good things that they do uh, around them, but 
they're not much of a church if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, I have a good friend who recently finished up school at uh, Duke Divinity School. And we were chatting about the, the professors there and the scholarship. And uh, he told me that he thought he maybe had one, maybe two professors in a school of theology who actually believed that the resurrection happened. And I was, I was like, then why, why devote yourself to the study of someone you, you think is, is dead 2,000 years? Like, what's the, and he was like, I know. He was like, I, I struggled with that the, the whole time I was here. Because without the, the resurrection, there is, no, there is no church. But apparently there were people in the Corinthian church that were the same that were like, mm, I don't really believe this whole resurrection thing. And, and Paul is adamantly pushing back against that. He knows that our faith crumbles without the resurrection. And Christianity is even more than just crumbles, it's false. Like what we are doing here is false if Christ is not raised. And, and so these verses, they give us a few reasons why Paul um, believes that the resurrection is absolutely necessary in our faith. Yeah. And one reason, is he says, is that the resurrection uh, alone heals our past. It is the resurrection that heals our past. The, our sins are finally forgiven. They're taken away. So without the resurrection, Paul says that we are still condemned and bound to sin. And in Paul's his framework, where he's coming from is, is the view that we are made for life with God. That was Paul's framework uh, for how he, he viewed uh, people and God. And he, he said in another place that it's in him that we live and move and have our, our very being. In him we live and move and have our very being. However, and Paul knew this, Paul believed this, that we've all sinned. I've sinned. You've sinned. We, we've sinned and, and we've rejected that life with God. And when we reject that life with God, we begin to lose who we are. We begin to lose part of that, that image of God. Uh, Athanasius, besides having a cool name, was one of the uh, African church fathers. And in the fourth century, he was talking about what sin does to us. He was, um, and he said that sin uh, corrupts ourselves back into nothing. Sin corrupts us back into nothing. In other words, like we lose who we are and who we are created to be, and that's what sin does to us. He corrupts us back into nothing. But God, because he loves us, he, he promised that he would do something about it, that he would one day destroy sin and heal us from the death that sin brought. And so this is what Paul believed. And, and he believed that Jesus became sin for us. You can read that earlier in 1 Corinthians. And he also died for, for us died so that sin might be destroyed in us. Now, this is nothing new. If you are a believer, if you've walked with Christ, if you've been part of the, the Christian church for any length of time. And, and there were plenty of people in the church in Corinth who were excited about that aspect. I mean, honestly, who doesn't want forgiveness for your past sins? Who, who doesn't want forgiveness for past mistakes and failures? Who, who doesn't want uh, all your stupid stuff taken away. I mean, who doesn't want their shame healed? All of us want that. But when, when Paul tells them that the, their, their healing comes through the resurrection, 
they begin to, to balk at that just a little bit. He's like, oh, they're like, oh, Paul, 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 just slow down. Like We are a very modern people. We're very up-to-date. Uh, and you can't go around talking about the resurrection so much. Um, you Because, know, Paul, I have these friends who think the resurrection is, is foolish. It's just superstition. And, and you're just embarrassing us with this talk of the, of the resurrection. And can we, just, can we just talk about Jesus more generally? Can we just talk about, you know, the good parts of, of Jesus and, and not the resurrection? It's not really that necessary. And Paul says, no, 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 no. The, the resurrection is absolutely essential to our faith. And so he's confronting his opponents, but in confronting his opponents, he's also want to encouraging those who, who believe the resurrection. And if Christ is not raised from the dead, you are not, in fact, healed from your past and you are still in your sins. And so this, and this is basically Paul's argument in these verses. Uh, we all know that Jesus died, uh, but if he has not been raised, how do we know that he died for our sins if he has not been raised? And, and let's say, however, that we do know that he died for our sins, but if he's not raised, how do we know that he triumphed over them? And if we do not know if he triumphed over them, on what basis can we believe that we have triumphed over them? In other words, if Jesus isn't healed, how can we be healed? How can we be certain that we are healed? I think it's a fair question. And this is what Paul brings out in verses 14 and verse 17. Remember in verse 14, he said, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. In verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. The reason for this is that he believes that Jesus' resurrection from the dead for our sins and in doing and being raised from the dead, our sins and the punishment for our sins finally destroyed. So Paul's saying, don't doubt the resurrection. If, if you doubt, then you'll begin to doubt that what Christ did, uh, did anything for your, your past. It took away your, your sins. And so but he has been raised, so your, your faith is well-placed. Your past has been healed. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's only in the resurrection that our past is healed, that our past is healed. And this is the, the first reason for the necessity of the resurrection that, that Paul mentions in these verses. Uh, the second reason, uh, the third reason, I'm going to talk more about those uh, next week. Uh, but for the, the sake of time, I'm, I've run out, but I'll just give you just a, a snippet. We said the first reason was to heal us from our past. The second reason is to secure our future. And the third reason, and the one I'm most excited about and sharing with you next week, is that it sustains us in the present. His resurrection sustains us in the present. And we're going to move uh, to a time of communion. But I want to look at First uh, Corinthians one more time, and I want to read a few verses from the message uh, paraphrase. Uh, and so these are the, the final few verses, starting in verse 16 from the message. It says, If corpses can't be raised, then Christ wasn't, because he was indeed dead. And if Christ weren't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark as lost as ever. It's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ and resurrection because they're already in their graves. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, 
we're a pretty sorry lot. I'll say that one more time. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we are a pretty sorry lot. But the truth is that Christ has been raised up. The first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. So to, to rephrase what's been said, Paul's from a negative point says, if he has not, but if he has been raised, then we are no longer in the dark. If Christ has been raised, we are no longer wandering about lost. If Christ has been raised, then our faith is not futile. If Christ has been raised, we are no longer in our sins. And he has been raised. And we're going to take communion together. Uh, And as we move into a time of communion, you know, feel free to to go grab um, juice, wine, bread, cracker, waters, fine if that's all you've got. That's for a moment, if you would just quiet your heart. And you would, well, two things. One, maybe you have joined us today and you have, um, you know, you've been, been cautious about uh, Christians and Christianity and what Jesus is about. But maybe as you listen today, God's been speaking to you. And I want you to know that God loves you to the death, to his own death. He was willing to die on your behalf so that our sins can be forgiven, so that our sins can be washed away. And scripture says that God removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. And though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. And if you will put your, your trust in Jesus today, you'll be forgiven. The Bible says if, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We will be saved. And so today may be the day that you put your trust in Christ. And if you are, if you are a believer, I encourage you to, to take a moment to um, fall on your, your knees before the Savior and find your hope in him Find your strength in him. Find your shelter from your worry, from your anxiety. Because he is alive. Because he is alive. So let's just take a moment. Bible says that on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. When we partake of the bread and the cup, we are looking back to what Christ has done on the cross for us. 
We're also looking back to his resurrection and we are looking forward to the day when Christ comes and makes all things new. And we believe that in, in some way that Christ is present with us as we receive communion together. And part of our normal liturgy is to declare the mystery of our faith together, which just says, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. I invite you now to eat of the bread and to drink of the cup. Jesus, I thank you that you are alive, that you are not dead, that you are not in the grave, but the grave is empty. And I pray in this season of um, pandemic, this season of struggle, this season of change for us, that we would continue to come back to our resurrected Savior. That we would daily seek after you. We'd fall on our knees and say, Jesus, you are king because you are alive. So we put our hope in you. And I pray for everyone who's joined us today that in this moment that our anxiety would lessen, that our worry would cease as we look to you, Jesus, our firm foundation, our strong tower, and our faith in you would be strong. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you are with us. Amen. Amen.